The very first commandment God gave humanity was to be fruitful and multiply. We were not created just to exist. Our creator expects us to produce an increase. We were made to bear fruit. We all shoulder stress in our lives, but stress is not always bad. Stress is not always bad. Mike Breen, who wrote an excellent book called um, 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 Building a Discipling Culture, says this. Stress, as we recall from our high school physics class, is simply force applied to an object to change its shape or course. He goes on to say, the right amount of stress on a violin string creates a beautiful note. Too little stress results in a maddening buzz. Too much stress produces a shrieking off-key sound. In other words, what he's saying is that we can't and shouldn't try to avoid stress. Stress is part of life, but we're not made to bear too much stress. Studies show that most Americans, and you guys are familiar with this, are suffering from moderate to high levels of stress. It is estimated that 75% of adults reported experiencing moderate to high levels of stress in the past month, and nearly half reported that their stress has increased in the past year. 80% of workers feel stress on the job, and nearly half say they need help in learning how to manage stress. Stress is an epidemic. We all know it, we all experience it, and we all see it in the lives of people around us. Christians are not exempt from these levels of stress. We may proclaim, cast your burdens on him for he cares for you, but we don't live it ourselves. We quote from Passages like Matthew that say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But we continue to pack heavy burdens on our backs. Something has gone terribly wrong. God designed us to be productive. He really did. But when we build our identities around our activities, we're not living in the truth of who God created us to be. We need a biblical framework for, listen to this, a rhythm of life that allows us to be fruitful in balance with being at rest. If you're new to the Christian faith or you've been a Christian for many years, as a church, we're currently exploring the person of Jesus Christ through one of his, um, the first biographies that was written about Jesus by a first century scribe named Mark. As we dive back into our study this morning, we'll discover how resting in God and abiding in his presence enabled Jesus to not only rest, 
and be refreshed and be recharged, but to refocus on his mission and be effective in it. In the same way as followers of Jesus, whether you're in the military or a mother or a businessman or a student, whatever your profession or vocation, resting in God, abiding in his presence, is the only way you can be successful in what he has called you to do. Last time in our study, we discovered that Jesus had began his public ministry. You remember, he goes into the city of Capernaum, goes into the synagogue, starts teaching powerfully. People are astonished and amazed and blown away by his teaching. And then as he's teaching, everyone is on the edge of their seats. What happens? A man who is described as having an unclean spirit, basically demon-possessed, stands up and identifies Jesus as the Holy One of God. What does Jesus do? He looks at the man and casts out the demon. After all of this happened, Jesus leaves the synagogue. He goes into the house of Simon's mother-in-law. He gets there, and he is informed that his mother, okay, Simon's mother-in-law, is struggling, and it's um, in bed and sick with a life-threatening fever. And so Jesus goes into a room where she is, holds her hand, lifts her up, bang, she's healed. And in view of all of these miraculous things Jesus has been doing, people, news leaks, okay, that he's in the home of Simon. And then people start crowding and gathering outside the home of Simon. And why are they there? They have needs. They have physical needs. And people are there to not only hear Jesus, but hopefully experience healing from him. So, after a long, hard, busy, and frenetic day and night of ministry, verse 35 says that Jesus got up very early in the morning while it was still dark, and he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Incredible, isn't it? After a a crazy, busy day night of ministry, Right? Did Jesus get up and say, hey, I'm just going to unwind and unplug and sit on the sofa in my pajamas, binge on Netflix, binge on soccer games, all of that. What does he do? He gets up before everybody gets up and goes to a desolate place in order to cultivate intimacy with his father. So Jesus disconnects in order to connect with God who is his strength and guidance. While he's away, everyone back at the house is woken up by the noise of a crowd beginning to form outside the front door. The crowds are back in the morning. They want to see Jesus. They want to experience healing from him. Okay? Some to hear what he has to say, others to be healed, some out of curiosity and others for reasons we don't know. But they came and they were there in great numbers. So verse 36 says that Simon and those who were with him searched for him and after urgently searching for Jesus were told in verse 37 that what? They found him. 
And the first thing they say to him, okay, when they find, find Jesus, is that Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Okay, this verse just gives us that, but I reckon it was more like, hey, Jesus, where have you been? Everybody is looking for you. There are crowds and hundreds of people outside the home. There are sick people. There are people demon-possessed. You, you, you got work to do. There's no time for prayer. There's no time, with you. There's no time for you to spend with God. How does Jesus respond? Look at what it says in verse 38. It says, he says to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Incredible. Jesus, so many people need you back at the house. Let's go to the next town so that I can preach there also. And so, the locals in Capernaum want Jesus to stay and perform more miracles, but Jesus is focused on his ultimate mission. He has a greater purpose than fame and popularity, and that is to announce and inaugurate the kingdom of God. And so he stays true to his word. He does what he says he was going to do. Verse 39 says that he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. What was first seen in the small village of Capernaum is now being seen all over the region. As followers of Jesus. As people who have decided to pattern our lives after Jesus... Just like Jesus, we need to practice the discipline of time alone with God. And I use the word discipline because time alone, carving out time alone with God is extremely hard for us, isn't it? Mike Breen again says, in this passage, we read that Jesus got up early in the morning to go to a solitary play, place to pray. He was about to begin his second day of ministry, and crowds had already gathered. But Jesus got up early to slip away before doing anything else. Before starting his second day of ministry, he rested in the presence of his Father and talked with him. Jesus pursued Spiritual rest and renewal over physical rest and renewal. One of my favorite quotes of all time is by St. Augustine. This is what he said, okay? Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Most of the time, after a long and draining and exhausting day, the most appealing thing for me is to just veg out, man. Just sit back, put on some soccer, or watch, I don't know, just go on YouTube and watch crazy funny videos, or just sit with my phone and just scroll down the timeline and click and do this and watch this. That is all I want to do. And there's nothing wrong with watching an entertaining game of football or of soccer or watching a world produced, sorry guys, American translations and all of that. All right, watching a world produced 
television show on Netflix, but um, nothing wrong with those things. Nothing wrong. I'm not saying there's no, But if those sources become our knee-jerk reaction or go-to for rest and renewal, we'll always be left restless. We'll always be left unfulfilled. How many of us seek rest for our hearts and souls in created things rather than the creator God? How many of us choose technology and entertainment rather than time alone with God for refreshment? Jesus made rest in God a priority. And if we're his followers, if we're his disciples, if we're people desiring to pattern our lives after his, then I think it's a good idea that we too make time to rest in God through Jesus For a generation addicted to technology, addicted to work, addicted to being busy, addicted to entertainment, Mark Comer, who's a pastor in Portland, says this. He says, the time is right for a prophetic witness in the church, for a people that will stand up and say, this is what it looks like to live under the rule of God. This is what it looks like to live without an addiction to technology. This is what it looks like to live in peace. This is what it looks like to live with your mind focused and open to the spirit of God. That's what God is calling you and I to. We want our minds, our hearts to be open to what God wants to do. And our hearts will never be open. Our hearts will always be restless and looking for more. If we're seeking peace and renewal and refreshment from created things rather than the creator God. Time alone with God will not only refresh your soul, but it will help refocus your heart and mind. It's interesting that when the disciples found Jesus and told him that there are many people back at the house wanting his attention, needing his healing powers, he ignores their urgent requests. And again, he says, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. Preach there also. And guess what he says after? In verse 38, he says, that is why I came. That is why I came. Jesus preached about the kingdom of God and he healed people. Absolutely he did. His healings were a demonstration of God's love and compassion for people. They also revealed the power and the presence of God. But this is what's interesting about all of this. The overarching purpose of Jesus' activity was not to heal physical or psychological issues, but to plead with people to repent and submit to God's reign in their lives. Physical healing is temporary, but a right relationship with God is eternal. Bringing physical and spiritual 
wholeness, says Mark Strauss in his commentary on Mark. He goes on to say that for Jesus, the physical needs of the people in Capernaum were important and he felt compassion for them, but he had a greater task to perform, which was to bring people the urgent message that God was taking back his creation, that the kingdom of God was at hand. Jesus' mission, Jesus' primary purpose has not changed one bit. He's still far more concerned about spiritual healing than physical healing. He's still calling people to stop living for themselves and start living for him. And he's doing so through his church, his people. So as the church, King's Cross Church, we must be committed to Jesus' mission. We absolutely must be. And his overarching mission and his main purpose um, for why he came and why he died and why he rose again and why he empowers us to be on the same mission as him is not to heal people or give them an awesome life now, but what Jesus is all about and his followers should be all passionate about is to make much of him and plead with people to stop living for themselves and start living ultimately fully perfectly for him so king's cross church we invite people okay every time we're inviting people and we're asking them to consider jesus christ and um, and explore jesus christ we invite people to consider Jesus not so that we may meet, he may meet their physical needs, but because he will give them the greatest gift anyone can receive, and that is himself. That is what it's all about. Calling people to Jesus. So, As Jesus went about in Galilee teaching in their synagogues and driving out demons, verse 40 says that a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. In the ancient world, leprosy was a skin disease that was greatly feared. It was a terminal disease. And if you were diagnosed with leprosy, Right away, what would happen is that you would notice a patch of skin that was discolored. This patch would begin to spread all over your body. Spongy, tumor-like swellings would begin to appear all over your body, mainly on your face and your mouth, nose and forehead. Thick, yellowish and greenish pus ooze and leak down your face, you would start to look less like a human being and more like a zombie from the walking dead or something. Then your hands and feet will begin to waste away to get thinner and weaker and in due course disfigure. Then your fingers and toes will eventually fall off and then within 10 to 20 years you would die. Having a dreadful skin disease that made your life a living nightmare was horrible, okay? Leprosy was horrible. There was no cure for it back then, and it was one of the most feared diseases back then. But having all of that was horrible, but these physical symptoms were not the worst part. The most challenging 
was the fact that you experienced social isolation. Citizens of the ancient world who were diagnosed with leprosy were viewed as unwell and as unclean. You became a social outcast. You were not allowed in any social settings at all. The leper community were barred from the temple, were barred from the synagogue and the marketplace. They were forced to live alone way outside, everywhere else. They were forced to withdraw from their family and friends and the general public. Lepers had to stay 50 feet away from other citizens. And if anyone came within 50 feet of a leper, the leper was required to shout out, unclean, unclean, get away from me. Just like, can you imagine what life was like for a leper? Living with this devastating uncomfortable, tormenting physical pain as well as being viewed as a social outcast. So this man Jesus encounters as a leper in a society that was merciless towards them. This disease has forced him to leave his family, his wife possibly, his children and his home and he's living as an outcast of society. So one day Jesus is in town. He has heard about Jesus. He has heard about all that Jesus has been doing and all the miraculous things he's been doing. He's desperate. He's sick and tired of being an outcast. He's sick and tired of this excruciating and discomfort he has been living with. He knew Jesus was able to heal him, but he wasn't sure if Jesus was willing. Regardless of these uncertainties, he's willing to take the risk. So what does he do? He runs to Jesus falls at his feet and says, Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. How does Jesus respond? His response is surprising. Look at verse 41. It says, Jesus moved with pity, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Again, we look at this and kind of we know the story and everything, but Jesus' response was shocking back then. It was quite controversial because he not only interacts with the leper, but he stretched out his hand and touched him. Back then, rabbis, which Jesus was a rabbi, would never touch a leper. For starters, Okay, they feared it was a contagious disease. Jesus touching a leper back then is like touching or kissing a person who has flu. You don't want to do that. To touch a leper was also a direct violation of the ceremonial law. The teachers of the Torah said as soon as you touched a leper, you became unclean. But not Jesus. Driven by compassion, he reaches out, touches the leper, and verse 32 says that. And immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. While people with leprosy traditionally suffered banishment from family and neighbors, Jesus broke from the tradition. He treated lepers with compassion, touching, and healing them. Jesus once again uses his power and his authority 
to heal the man, this time not only with words, but with a touch. Okay. Imagine you're standing in a room similar to an art gallery. On the walls, okay, there's displays, artifacts, and all of those displays are all about you. It shows everything you've done. Every word you've spoken, every thought you've had, nothing is left out. It's all there for you and everyone to see. Now, I'm sure there's some parts, okay, that are awesome, that you're proud of, okay? Special achievements, successful work achievements, promotions, you've done all these awesome things, okay? But there will also be thousands of things that you're not so proud of. Things you don't want anyone to see or know. Things you've done or said or thought that you wouldn't want anyone to know about, not even your closest friends. And it's not only the things you've said, done, and thought that are a problem. There are also the things you should have done. Things that you should have said that you never said. I wonder how you would feel if all these things were exposed to everyone. For myself, if my life were on the walls for everyone to see, I would be greatly ashamed. I wouldn't be able to look anyone in their eyes. Could you, if you're honest with yourself? So why are we like this? Why is there so much in our lives that we're ashamed of. One word, sin. Sin is the enemy within all of us that continues to ravage our lives. Like leprosy, the effects of sin are incredibly deadly. Sin is contagious It's passed down from one generation to the next. We're all affected by sin. We're all tainted by sin. Sin is not only contagious, like leprosy, it has devastating effects. The consequences of sin are fatal. Sin is the cause of conflict. Sin is the cause of terrorism. Sin is the cause of racism, corruption, sickness, abuse, and murder. Sin is the cause of broken relationships and family feuds. Sin is the cause of evil and wickedness in the world. Worst of all, sin, like leprosy, forces us into isolation, not only from people, because we want to hide, in shame, but sin forces us 
away from God. Sin is what separates us from God. Just like leprosy, the only cure available for sin is Jesus Christ, the only one able to bring us back into a right and healthy relationship with each other. And God is Jesus. Jesus' perfect life, his punishment on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave is the only cure for our sin-stained hearts. His sacrifice for us is what cleanses us from sin and installs us back into a right and healthy relationship with each other and God himself. If it was Jesus' word and touch that healed the man with leprosy and restored him back into the community, guess what? It's Jesus' life, his perfect life and his death and his resurrection that restores us back into a relationship with God and relationship with God's community. Sin, like leprosy, is damaging and it isolates us. But just as Jesus, just like Jesus, reached out and made someone who was unclean clean he is able to do that today for us and so if you're here you're not a christian and you're becoming aware of all the things you're ashamed of and you feel unclean and um, also you're trying to live life and uh, um, live a life that you're trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment in all of these things all of these things know that Jesus came, he reached out, he reached down, he came, he became a man, he lived a sinless life, perfect life without sin, but guess what? He died on the cross, and when we look at Jesus on the cross, let's not focus on a man being tormented and tortured. Jesus on the cross behind um, um, what we can't see behind it, or what's really happening is that Jesus is taking your place Everything you've done that you are ashamed of, that you can ever think of, what happened was Jesus received God's punishment and God's wrath for all of those things. And because Jesus absorbed God's wrath that we deserved, we are free to not only live lives of health and rest, but to also have a deep and abiding relationship with God, the creator of the universe. God, the creator of the universe. Everything you see, every awesome experience, every mountain, every view of the ocean, every living insect, even the ants you hate that make their way into your home. Every mammal. The other day I went and volunteered at one of my kids' class, one of their classes, and we were learning about dolphins. And I was like, dolphins are amazing. They're just like so quirky and so like weird, but like they are awesome and smart. 
And to think that God created that everything we see, everything we experience that is awesome, God created it. And what we do is that we get so enamored and seek fulfillment from created things when the creator God is saying, hey, you can have a relationship with me. If you think all of those things are awesome, if you think all of those things are amazing, imagine how awesome and amazing I am. And God displayed his love, his care, his grace, his mercy. He did. And he displayed it through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so today, if you are a Christian, you have an opportunity not just to be reminded, but to reflect on all that Jesus has done for you. And because of all that Jesus has done for you, you stand right now in right relationship with your Father, God. He doesn't view you as an outcast. He doesn't. You may view yourself as an outcast as a result of the shame and guilt you feel because of your sin or things that you've done wrong. But know that God views you through Jesus as his child whom he absolutely loves. And if you're not a Christian, you have an opportunity today to begin and enter into an amazing relationship with God, the Father. And the only bridge, the only way that you can enter into that relationship is if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you make him the king of your life. And this is the message Jesus came to preach. This is why he didn't get distracted by all that was going on, but he moved on. Why? Because he wanted to preach about the kingdom. That is what it's all about. After Jesus heals the man, what he does next is unexpected. Look at verses 43 and 44. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said, Hey, see that you don't say anything to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your, um, for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to offer. And just imagine like something amazing happening to you, right? And someone saying to you, don't tell anyone. Just keep quiet. It's like the worst thing that can happen, right? It's hard. Jesus commanded the man not to tell anyone, but guess what? He goes around telling everyone, okay? Goes around telling everyone. Um, he outright disobeys Jesus, and he outright does what Jesus told him not to do. And what's interesting about this, okay, is that, that currently that's not our problem. Our problem is the opposite. Jesus saves us and tells us to go and share the good news of what he's done in our lives with everyone and all these people. But because of fear and inexperience, we are not as bold and we don't often communicate the gospel and share the good news of what God has done in our lives. And so as members, okay, King's Cross Church, Think about what Jesus has done. Think about the amazing grace he's poured on you. Think about all that you have in Jesus. And as you think about it, may you be passionate and consistent about sharing the good news of what God has done for you in Jesus with people that need to hear it.
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for reminding us of the importance of finding our rest in you. And when we rest in you, you remind us of who we are before you. And you renew and refocus us when it comes to what you've called us to. And so, Father, thank you for cleansing us from the disease of sin. Father, we're still tainted by it. We still struggle with it. But we know that you have dealt with the punishment of sin in our lives. Um, You've also weakened um, the power of sin. And even though the presence of sin still lingers, you continue to enable us to live the lives you've called us to live. And we're only able to do that and have hope because of your grace. Thank you for Jesus. May his life and everything he is be made much, not only intellectually, but in our hearts as well. God, we want to know Jesus more. And so as we've heard, as we are about to respond with singing, may you be gracious to us. May you magnify the beauty of Jesus Christ in our lives, in our hearts. Do what I could never do with this sermon or these songs can never do. May your Holy Spirit work powerfully in our hearts this morning. And as that happens, may that spread May that spill out into our week. May we not just discipline ourselves to be with Jesus, but may that discipline become a delight where we can't wait to be with you. Can't wait to be with you in prayer. We can't wait to read your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to enter into our time.